ready for his barbecue. I felt like he was going to wear like. <laughs> so let's the Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter two. We're still sonship uh, for some reason. This is kind of cutting in and out. Uh, Philippians chapter two. And we're going to start at verse one and we're going to go through verse 11. OK, so let's pray together because we we need to pray together. I, at least I need to pray together because if I don't, I I, I want to just tell you this. If. If you're serious about following the Lord, you better be serious about prayer. And I'm not saying this to guilt anybody, but if you think you can do this on your own strength, you cannot. You can't. I can't even trust my own understanding. You know, I simply can't. So, uh, Father God, we pray to you. We pray to you for not only uh, direction and wisdom, we pray for power. I like to say this all the time to my Father in heaven. Don't teach me anything, Lord God. I can't guarantee I'll learn it. But if you empower it, if you make it so, if you plant it inside of me, it's going to be what you want it to be. Lord God, I trust you. I trust you. Why? Because you've proven yourself to be trustworthy. Lord God, I can't even trust in myself sometimes. But I know this. You will always do what is good in your own time. So I pray, Lord God, that you would meet us here today. You would transform our minds and our hearts, Lord God. And I pray that you would be pleased, enjoying being with your family and transforming our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Paul speaking to the church in Philippi, and he really loved the church in Philippi. One of the things I want to tell you is that one of the key issues for me in the church uh, to the church in Philippi is that he's in jail. It's called uh, the epistle of joy. Well, I can tell you when I'm joyful, you know, when I'm going to be joyful next week when my daughter's getting married. I'm going to cry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be joyful of it, right? I'm, I'm joyful when I get a raise. I'm joyful when I have uh, um, a certain amount of money that could give me what I believe is security in the bank. I'm joyful when I'm in, uh, enjoying and, in, and, and growing in physical strength, but I'm not always joyful when things are uncertain, you know what I mean? So he's in an uncertain spot. He says, if any of you has encouragement from being united with Christ, if there is any comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship with the spirit, if there's any tenderness, there's any compassion, then make my joy complete by like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. He's talking about extreme unity here. Extreme unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude, our attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I want you to understand that. Jesus always knew who he was. He is God the Son. He's not less. He is equal with the Father, but he is the Son, the implementer. He has rights simply because of who he is. He says, I have the right to demand things my way. But what did he choose to do? Not to cling or grasp to what was rightfully his, 
he chose to turn it over to his father for his purposes and his will, which is what he's doing in the church. And this is what he does. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even on a cross. Can I tell you something? Even just a small, minor, superficial study of the cross tells you this is an incredibly humiliating, torturous way to go. And Jesus didn't just kind of walk along for 33 years and then the father slipped it in and said, oh, by the way, you're here to die on a cross. He knew it from the minute he had understanding. He's like, I know this is where I'm headed. That's why he was always, you know, very willing to pull back from the crowd. He's like, I know what you guys want me to do, but I know what I'm here to do. And you know what? I'm not ready to run into that yet. I'm going to let my father take, take the lead here. So he finishes up, Paul finishes up this with this. He says this, therefore God exalted him ab above to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every other name. Now listen, this is what the obedience of Christ did. It is the obedience of Christ that did this. This is what covers us. This is what makes us legitimate before the very throne of God. It's not what you bring or I bring or can bring or uh, have the possibility of bringing. We are covered with this thing. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He accomplished this on our behalf. And because this is true, he's saying this now is true for us. That's why you see a lot of times in the Bible it says therefore. When it says therefore, you have to go back and you have to read what therefore is therefore. Because he's pointing to something. It's like this. I like to say this. If I, you know, we're talking about fathers, everybody likes the idea of being, well, most people like the idea of being a father. But when I realized I was having a child, I realized my life was going to change drastically. And I didn't have the right to say no. Now my life would be about sacrifice. Whereas before I was ungodly and I thought life was about me. So therefore, because I had this child, because my wife was pregnant with my baby, my offspring, he was from me, I now have an obligation. Well, let me talk about some obligations today because Christ lets us know that if you're born again of the Holy Spirit, there is now being born into you different obligations and different ways to live. One of the things, I don't know if you remembered, I don't know if you guys listened to me on Sunday, sometimes, <laughs> um, I said this, uh, that I was very concerned about growing strong roots in this house, in, in this body. Why? Because we live in a very uh, strong current culture. Understand what I mean? So it's, it has a tendency to sweep people along. It's almost like you don't even have to agree with it. All you have to be is like, like Anthony said, just passive. And it'll grab you, uproot you, and it'll pull you right along. And I feel that there's far too many Christians, unfortunately, who are not deeply rooted in their identity. And when the major uh, uh, current of this, this powerful stream comes along, because what I believe we're seeing is the dawning of a new era. And if you think it's going to go away, 
I would like to encourage you to think differently. It is not going away. It is increasing. And here's my evidence of that. Now, listen, I don't want to go too deep into this because I don't want us to, to have the wrong, I don't want this to be a stumbling block. But in California, they are arguing a bill called CA Bill AB 957. Now, listen to this. That means any state agency considering child custody cases must consider whether each parent will affirm a child's right to identify their own gender. Now, let's, 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 not, let's not make this into a, uh, uh, let's just listen. It also allows courts to consider parental convictions on gender-affirming rights by children. And any parent not in agreement with a child's right to choose their own identity can be classified as an abusive home and parenting and allows government agencies up to the right to take and remove children from a home. This may not pass. And listen, we're not demonizing anybody, but this isn't going away. If you were to ask much of the people, I was downtown work yesterday, if you ask most of the people if they'd agree with something like this, you would be shocked. Many would say, oh yeah, I, I agree with that. Can I tell you something? We're not here to demonize people. We're not here to point fingers at people. We're not here to condemn people. But we must stand on truth. You must stand on truth. And those who are not deeply rooted in who they are born into, they will be uprooted and swept away. Now, I don't know if Christ is coming soon, but I'll tell you, what's coming soon is coming fast, and it's coming very strong. And it's not going away. I could tell you what I feel like God is telling me, but I don't want to say that because I would much rather pray about it. Um, our, family, our family identity is like an anchor. It is for me, at least. My family, this new family that I've come into, you know what? Even every family kind of has its own identity. Isn't that true? Like, my old family was this. You weren't a man unless you drank. That's the way it was. They weren't, they weren't a family of alcoholics, but they weren't not alcoholics. You know what I mean? We liked to, we liked to drink. And every man drank. So when every party was there, the women would go in the kitchen, the men would go in the backyard or in the front room, and we would drink, you know? Well, uh, when I was born into this new family, that was not what my new identity was. So I kind of was like this man who lived in a world that I didn't belong in anymore. You know what I mean? Everybody would be cursing. It was kind of coarse and, and stuff like that, and I just couldn't engage in it anymore. So I was just kind of like silent a lot of times. But I want to say this. One of the things that got instilled in my heart on the day of my uh, conversion, and it was indeed a conversion, was you have been born into a new identity. And that comes with an ethos. I know that's easy. It's a, a word for purpose in life. Everyone has an ethos. Every culture has an ethos. Every family has an ethos. That is why I do what I do. This creates in me... And I think it creates in all of us as children a family-minded consciousness. Now, I know that that's kind of highfalutin words, but that means just like when I realize my wife is having a child, I now have obligations. I can't just go out and do what I want to do. I can't just take my paycheck at the end of the week and spend it the way I want to spend it. I haven't been able to do that for a long time. Why? Because my family is a greater importance than whatever I want personally. 
It's not an op- it's not an option. It's real. And can I tell you something? That's what Christ is telling his children. He, no, no, no. Christ is not our father. He's our brother. Our father in heaven says, this is what my children do. This is what you have been born into. And it comes with, with, with serious consequences. And one of the consequences is in this. And you're going to hear me for a long time until God brings someone else here. I no longer live for me above all else. Can I tell you something? That might be frightening to some, but I can tell you this. Even though it's sometimes unpleasant for me to hear that and think that because I repeat it to myself over and over and over and over, it is also very freeing because when I made me the number one issue of my life, I found a lot of emptiness. I found a lot of chasing after things that I seemed to never really get my hands on. I felt overwhelmed. I felt rejected. I felt empty. I felt alone. And I could tell you, when I came in and Christ said, give me your life, and I do, I give my life to him. And I not only give it to him once, I give it to him all the time. All the time, over and over and over and over. What I do find is even if I don't like the circumstances I'm in, I can have peace in it because I go, you know what, no, this is why I'm here. Does that make sense to everybody? All right, so let's keep going on. Christianity, what I have learned, isn't just about us doing holy or religious things. Jesus never saved us to be religious. The religion that he wants is more about what compels us to pursue holy living. Why I do what I do. For example, I used to say this all the time. On Sundays, Sundays for a guy with a, who's a union job means you're working on your seventh day. You know what that means? Double pay. Double pay is really nice. Can I get an amen? Right. Well, my double day is on Sunday. And when they would call me, I would always have to say, no, I can't. And it would, it was like a knot in my stomach. I kid you not. I'd have to offer it to him every time. Every time I'd go, all right, Daddy. This is tricky. I, I'm, 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 o- I'm okay with this, but I wasn't okay with this. But I'm giving it to you. Can I tell you something? It happened uh, like a week ago. Tom, would you like to come in at 6 o'clock on Sunday? Without hesitation, I said, no thanks. And when I hung up the phone, I was like, hey, that's weird. I didn't feel nauseated this time. (laughs) You know why? Because he's taking over ground in my heart. Now, for me, it's not just a duty that I know I have to do. It is now a pleasure. That's why the the commands of Christ are never a burden for us because he makes them a desire. Does this make sense? Okay, so Christianity is about why I do what I do because if I do religious things, remember what he says. Jesus, will there be many people in the kingdom? I tell you, there will not be many people. in. I can see it now. They will come to me and say, did I not expel demons in your name? Did I not teach in your name? Did I not give out poor to the poor in your name? And he'll say, hey, listen, I, I don't know you. What you did was not for me depart. Those are scary and frightening words. Those are scary and frightening words. That means that God is after something in my life and in your life. My identity as a son of God creates in me an inner tension. I think I said this a little bit last week where I see that my flesh still wants what is pleasing to my flesh. 
You know, one of the things that I like it, that is pleasing to my flesh when my wife just agrees with me. But you know what I find out? My wife rarely agrees with me. Right? And I used to think to myself, God, why did you allow me to be a partner with someone who thinks so drastically different from me? And now I realize, still not liking it, that she's there for a reason. She's another thought. She's another viewpoint. And her viewpoint is what he wants me to see that I don't naturally have the ability to see. So I now have an obligation when I hear her, instead of throwing it off to the side and saying, man, will you just for once agree with me? <laughs> he's, I, what I think my father in heaven wants me to do is to realize, no, 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 she's here for a reason. I want you to listen to what she has to say. I'd like for you to pray about it because you're not seeing the whole picture. Believe it or not, you're not as smart as you think you are. You know, so the in, there's an inner uh, there's an inner tension inside me. The indwelling spirit of God puts inside of me and reminds me of who I have been born again to be and who I was always intended to be. You know, one of the most influential doctrines that has ever reached me in my life, and it happened, I would say, 30 days after my salvation, was Ephesians chapter 1, where God said, you're not a mistake, you didn't choose me, I made you for me. When he said, I chose you, this blew my mind, guys. It blew my mind. You know what? Because I was chosen for things, but it was never good things. I was chosen to be, uh, not, I don't want to even go anywhere, but I wasn't chosen for good stuff. I was chosen by God to be his child. I was chosen by God for him to send his son so that he could live and die and rise again to life for me. So you know what this tells me? My old way of living was a lie. And my new way of living was the way I was always supposed to be. See, that's how we're going to live the holy life. When I realize that there's a part of me that wants to live a lie because it's just the old way of doing things. It's part of my old nature. But it's not who I am and it's not who I was made to be. So I assure you, if you live out a lie, you're never going to find satisfaction. You're never going to find it. It's like a screwdriver that's used to pound nails. You're never, you're going to go, man, I just feel like there's something else out there. Something else out there. The spirit of sonship, God bless you, reminds me that I belong somewhere. And this is where I belong. And it's not just for an hour. I have an obligation to you. Why? Because I'm born into this family. And I got bad news for you. If this is your church, you have an obligation for me. That's what Christ says. It reminds me that I have an obligation to the ones that I'm in relationship with. Jesus said this in chapter 15 of the book of John. You are my friends when you obey my command. And my command is this, that you would love one another as I have loved you. I want to tell you there's no greater love than this, that you would lay down your life for your friends. Jesus, as our older brother, sets the tone. He gives for you and I an example. And because we share in his hand, name, this is now our thing. It's not, you know, I, 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 I remember I heard this one time when I got saved. We have not been born again into a democracy. We've been born again into a kingdom. Kingdoms are different than democracies. 
Everybody says, no, 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 I have my own rights. I can do my own thing. Well, what if your own thing's the wrong thing? You know, one part of repentance is for me to allow God to shed light on things that I demanded to do my whole life. And him going, no, that's not good. It was never good. That's not important. It was never important. So that's what repentance is. I want to just say this. Because Jesus says this, this has an, uh, it has, it has an impact. It has an impact. It has a, a consequence. And that means I must put aside my own agendas for the benefit of others. Does that mean I have to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, focus on ministry and ministering to other people? No, because I'll tell you what, that'll turn into something weird too. And that's not what God wants. But I do know this, and you'll agree with me. I always find time to do the things that I love most. You know what I mean? Whether I'm busy or not, if I love doing something, I'll find a way. You know what I have learned? I really, really love the believers in Christ. I love them. And I want to see God win in their life. So that means to me, when I don't want to, and I know there is an option to do these things and be with them and interact with them and grow with them and help them and partner with them, I go there. I don't say, no, not today. I say, no, 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 this is an option. This is a, an opportunity for me. It's an opportunity for me. That's what a child of God realizes, that they have been given opportunities to be God's instrument in the life of other people. That's a little bit different than just going to church. Wouldn't you guys agree? All right, so what we have to understand is this. First, if you're a child of God, you will recognize that you have a need for others and an obligation to each other. That means I can no longer live as a free agent. I believe the church has been stripped of its power because it's a church largely of free agents. Come when I want, go when I want. What are the ministries that the church offers me and how can it serve me? No, no, no. You've been, come, you've been born into a family where God wants you to meet the needs of another person so he can use another person to meet your needs. That's powerful stuff. It's a big, huge mosaic that God is doing. One of Jesus' chief complaints, complaints against the religious elite was they said that they loved God because they loved his word, but they oftentimes showed apathy towards the people around them. God's like, wait a minute. You say you love God, you know his words, you study it so endlessly, but you really don't have a whole lot of visible love for the people around you. Something's not right. And they didn't like him because he was shedding light on these issues. All right, so often, uh, let, me, let me just go back to this. Okay. I, I lost, my, lost my pace where I was at because I had pages out of turn. All right. Oftentimes, I want to talk about an orphaned heart. An orphaned heart has difficulty with intimacy. That's what I see is, is, the, is, is a lot of a pattern within the church. They have a problem with intimacy, they have a problem with close relationships, and they have a problem with partnerships because they're burdensome. Why? I do not know. 
the orphan will oftentimes focus completely on their own issues, their own circumstances. So they're kind of trapped in their life. Or what I've seen is this is another aspect of being an orphan and have an orphan spirit. I don't want to hear other people's problems. I don't want to hear their laments. Everybody's got their own problems. I want to study the Bible, but I really don't care about what you're struggling with. You know, I heard that. I heard that about the, a, a Bible study that, that, that the church was having. And I was like, did you hear the, the words that you just said? You don't want to hear about the burdens of your sister in Christ? Man, that's, that's troubling to me. That's very troubling to me. Why do people operate in orphanhood? Because I believe it has to do with fear. Fear of rejection or fear of abandonment. Maybe they had that in their life. They're uncomfortable with the vulnerability that intimacy has involved in it. They're uncomfortable with the cost. So what do they do? They simply turn off that part of their thinking. They operate more comfortably at a place of superficiality. They live separate or isolated. Hey, bro, how you doing? Or, hey, bro, I love you, man. I gotta go. You never see him again. You see him only one and a half hours. You know what's weird? They may even stand a post. They may even serve in a ministry. But do you know them? No. Do you have any relationship with them? Do you have any connection with them outside of the hour and a half of service? No. Can I tell you something? That tells you that there's something disconnected because the word of God prompts something inside of me to be involved with you in a very, very real way. You want to read a scary epistle? Read the book of 1 John. I don't know why they call him the, the, the apostle of love. Because I'm telling you, when you read there, he's got 11 points and he's like, hey, you say you're a believer of Christ, but is this true of you? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I take that, I take that book and I take those points all the time and I measure myself out. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm doing okay here, but no, I'm not doing really great here. Does this mean that I get nervous and, and afraid, like somehow God's going to kick me out? No, that, that, that's not the point. God's not going to kick me out. God is opening up my eyes so that it, he can usher me into the fullness of who he had saved me to be. Does that make sense with everybody? Okay. We are intended as his children to rejoice in and to grow to the fullness of God in the mosaic of the church. We are all intricate parts that make up the whole. I want to read for you a verse out of Ephesians chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers or aliens. That means you're not an outsider. You are now fellow citizens with all the other saints and members of the household of God. You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in whom the entire structure is been joined together, grows into a temple for the Lord. In him, we are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to understand, if I'm getting this correctly, this is us. This is us. Each and every one of these little parts has been built by Christ, brought in from generation and generation and generation, born by the Spirit to become walls in the temple for God's very Spirit to dwell. But you know what this also tells me? 
it, this tells me that if I'm a piece of a tile that's here and here and here and here, I'm kind of a living contradiction. I, I want it very clear here. This is not condemning, but it is indeed challenging. It is indeed challenging. Man named the Christian that is and separated misses the joy of seeing an aspect of God's grace. We always see grace as God's favor. But can I tell you also what God's grace entails? Beauty. When some, you say someone's graceful, man, they're beautiful. They float through the room. They dance wonderfully. Can I tell you, God's grace does beautiful things in the lives of his children. And you know how he does it? Through his other children. If I'm one of those pieces that are out there, how am I being used to produce this beauty? No matter where we are, I want us to understand we are all works in progress. That means I live in an expectation of God completing his work in me and through me. That means coming to church, not a burden. Coming to Bible study, can I tell you something? This Bible study that we have here, I love it. I literally love it. And it's Thursday. You know what that means on Thursday? I don't want to talk to nobody. I mean, I have been busting my hump eight hours, sometimes 12 hours a day, sometimes even 14, and I'm like, at the end of the week, I'm like, <laughs> come 6.30, I'm like, I got to get in my car. And I have to pray because, you know, never would I be mean in the Bible study, but I'll be mean to the people around me in the traffic. You know what I'm talking about. And you know what? When I get here, what do I feel? First of all, I feel welcomed. I feel loved. There's a camaraderie. There is a, there is a unity. And then we open up the word, and I kid you not, you want to talk about unity of the spirit? God brings up different points of view that, Man, I walk away, I feel as though I was empty, and now I have a full tank of fuel. Does that make sense? See, God uses the men in that group to be for me fuel. But I can't be fuel to them, and they can't be fuel to me if I come and I go. Let that stay where it is. We need to drill these ideas into our heart. Let me go to the next and the last point because we got about 10 minutes. That's real, honest. Like, honest, I got 10 minutes. I'm not going over this night. <laughs> the child of God lives by, listen to this, they live by the love of law, not, they live by, no, the child of God lives by the law of love not by the love of law. Let me explain something. What you can see is one of the things that's really so apparent is that Jesus had problems with certain people, didn't he? It's like he was like willing to, it's like he was like, he would walk into a crowd, he's like, all right, let's go. And you know who he had a problem with? Not the prostitute, not the drunkard, not the tax collector, the religious. That's a scary thing for me. That's a scary thing for me. 
Do you know why? Because religion and the pursuit of God can easily become warped in the heart of man apart from grace. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees and the religious leaders? They taught about God, but they converted people to a dead religion of ritualism and externalism. That means do these things, and then God will be pleased for you. And you know what God says? Learn about me. Allow the knowledge of who I am and what I have done for you to prompt you to be my vessel in your life. Don't tell me that you love me because you know my word. Tell me you love me. By witnessing to the world, they can see your love at work in me. That's what knowledge means. Not so that I can have a PhD. God doesn't care if I'm knowledgeable. You know what this guy A.W. Tozer said? He goes, I assure you, Satan is a far better theologian than any human being. It reminds me of something. That if my knowledge of God doesn't prompt me to really invest in you, Man, I really got to start looking at my priorities a little bit differently. I wanted to just say this. Where's my example of this? Because I can't just spout things and not have an example. There was an account in the Gospels where Jesus was at a place called the Pool of Siloam. And he knew that the Pharisees were watching him. They were kind of keeping an eye on him. Why were they keeping an eye on him? Because they hated his guts. You know why they hated his guts? Because he was a light that was trying to show them that they were running off a cliff. And he's like... Don't go this way. Don't go this way. And they wanted to shut him up. So what did they do? They watched him real silently. You know why? They wanted to see if he was breaking the law so that they could really indict him. Right? And he knew this was happening. And he's sitting there and he's kind of stewing. I can almost see it in my mind. And he finally sees this guy with a withered hand. Remember? He goes, come over here. It's the Sabbath day. The law said you could not heal on the Sabbath because it was illegal against what God wants. And he showed him the hands. And he showed him the withered hands, and he goes, you Pharisees, let me ask you a question, you religious. Is it right for me to heal on the Sabbath, or is it right for me to do evil and let him just kind of wither away? And they wouldn't answer. They wouldn't answer. Why? Because every time they did open their mouth, Jesus gave them a wah he, he, he got them like a, a Spanish mom with a chancla. wah <laughs> I mean, man, let me tell you something. Nobody more dangerous than a Spanish mother with a chancla. All right? Jesus was showing as a light that they didn't even understand what the law was. You know why? Because their whole lives were really about proving their own self-worth. See, this isn't about me proving my self-worth anymore. That's the old way. Me trying to prove myself over and over and over about what I do and what I earn and what I've, uh, uh, you know, amassed in my life. Jesus is like, do you know why you have words? Of all the things that I made, I made you look like me. You ever think about that? Whether you're the worst sinner or you're the greatest saint, we are all made in the image of God Almighty. You know what that means? We have incredible value in the love of Christ. He's like you're living out of your value. You're trying to stand on a platform that is wobbly and shaky and eroding under your feet. He's like, you know what a, a foundation is? Here's a foundation that I have loved you from before eternity. When it was just me, my son, and the spirit, I had you in mind. Don't forget that. 
Doesn't matter what the world around you says about you. Doesn't matter if you make $30,000 a year or $130,000 a year. It doesn't matter whether your teeth are straight and beautiful or they're a little bit crooked. You are who I want you to be. And when I find you, you'll have a broken image of me and I will restore you. I will make you look and shine as the way I intended you always to be. That's what it means to live by the law of love. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. This is powerful, and if you read it, it's always going to be very confusing. He said that the, light, the eye is a lamp unto the body. Then he said, but if your eye is good, then your whole body is good. But if your eye is bad, even light that comes into the eye becomes darkness to you. It's as if you are double-blinded. Kind of like, what are you saying, Jesus? Could you just please be a little bit more clear? You ever do that? When, I mean, when I read the first Bible, I was like, I do not know what you are saying, Lord. But you know what? Go back at it over and over because you'll get it. And when you do get it, you'll be like, oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. He's saying this. Your eyes are broken. Because of sin, your eyes are broken. And if you stay in this broken state, not understanding who I am and what I've come to do and how my love for you gives you value, even taking the word of God will make you more blinded than when you didn't have it. Did you ever think about this? The people who knew the scripture better than anyone else couldn't see who Jesus was. What? You study the word of God sometimes 15 hours a day. You didn't know who he was? I think, this is just my theory, they knew who Jesus was, but they didn't want Jesus. You know what my dad used to say an amazing thing? There's nobody more blind than the person who refuses to see. And you know what? That's true. That's true. We live by the law of love. Paul reminds people that it doesn't matter how impressive we look on the outside. If my motive for living is not to love others, then I am a nothing man. And that's more than platitudes. That's more than me giving you the side hug and going, I love you, bro. I get that at work. And I know they don't love me there. Let's be honest with you. It's hard for me to love them back. But hey. We're working on it. I'm a work in progress. Amen? Amen? All right. But when I hug people here, man, I give them the hug. You know why? Because I love them. And you know what I've learned about my love for people that he's put inside of me? When you succeed in Christ, somehow I can rejoice. Because somehow it's like a victory for me. I don't know how. Because we're all connected to one another. Maybe the way that it was always supposed to be. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's stand up. Thousand times I've failed Till your mercy remains And should I stumble again I'm caught in your grace 
everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all faith Your will above, your will above all else, my purpose remains. The art of losing myself in bringing you praise everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never In my heart and my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the therefore statement for view of God's mercy if you see it step back step and look out look out and go wow man this is really truly a gift this is an amazing gift that you have given me in Jesus Christ because of all this he says your love for each other must be sincere 
You must hate what is evil. You must cling to what is good. You must be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You must honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but always keeping your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. I want you to be joyful in hope. I want you to be patient in affliction. I want you to be prayerful and faithful in it. Share with people need. I want you to practice hospitality with one another. Now this is the church speaking to the church. Listen, bless those who persecute you. <laughs> Sometimes Christians, we do that to each other. You know that, right? That's why people don't like to get involved. Like the church is too messy. Yeah, you're right. But it's his family, man. And you know what? I'd have it no other way. No other way. He says, therefore, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to be associated with people of low positions. Don't allow yourself to be conceited. Let your love be filled with sincerity. Let's hold hands. Let's pray together. Father God, I just want to um, say thank you. Thank you so much. Lord God, you have done such a beautiful work in this place. I really do get the, fa the feeling of family here. You know, I think everybody kind of says it. It's kind of a cliche. But no, no, no. This is, I mean, real. Lord, I, I get the, the sincere sense that I'm loved here. And you know what, man? I want to love people. I want to love your family. You know what usually steps in the way of that? This world. There's a lot of things for us to do here. And they're not always overly sinful. They're just stuff we do. Can I ask you to give us different desires? Can I ask you, Lord God, to fill our hearts?